0: Well,
1: welcome to Mortification of Spin Bully Pulpit. The usual gangs all here. Myself, Carl Truman, Amy Bird, the housewife theologian, Todd Pruitt, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisburg, Harrison, Harrisonburg, Harrisonburg mm-hmm. Virginia, which happens to be a university town in case you didn't mention that <laughs> recently. It is. it is. We want to talk today about a serious and somewhat tricky subject. Many listeners will be aware of the very courageous stand and testimony that Rachel Den Hollander took in the recent Larry Nassar child sex abuse case, how this lady stood in some ways initially single-handed and blew the whistle on somebody who is probably one of the most prolific paedophiles in the history of the United States. One of the things, though, that emerged after the trial was the lack of support that she felt she had received from her local church as she was going through this process. And, and also what was interesting, I think, to many of us watching from the sidelines was the way that some who had initially lionised her distanced themselves somewhat in the days and weeks after her statements on this front, precisely because she seemed to be indicting the church to some extent in the sufferings that she had gone through. So what we want to do today is, is address the question of how should the church respond and support somebody like Mrs. Den Hollander when she takes the courageous stand, she does. And I want to start Todd and Amy by saying this. I, I think that the looking at the aftermath of the case – I think that the first reaction of the church when somebody indicts the church in a case like this should not be to move immediately towards self-justification mm-hmm. or refuting the allegations. Seems to me that the first question should be that which, you know, the disciples ask mm-hmm. when Jesus indicates that, that one of them is to betray him. Yeah. They don't engage in, in self-justification there. The immediate question is, is it I, Lord? And I wonder, what do you think? Do you mm. think an appropriate reaction when the church is indicted in this way is not to pull up the defences, yeah. but it is to engage in legitimate soul-searching? And I certainly speak for myself after the Nan Hollander case. There's that element where you you rejoice that wickedness has been decisively dealt with. Mm-hmm. Your heart breaks for the suffering of all of those young girls over many years and the suffering of the kids in the photos that were found on his laptop. He was also done for child pornography. But there's also that element of, okay, if this happened in my church, can I put my hand on my heart and say, we'd have been supportive. Are there things we can do better? Is there something that needs to change in the culture of of my church that means that if, I hope this never happens, but if a member of my congregation has to take that stand, They're going to get appropriate support from from the eldership and the congregation. What do you think?
2: Yeah. Um, You know, I think it's one thing if somebody who is clearly mentally deranged makes accusations or if some evildoer who wants to see the church be publicly embarrassed makes up salacious claims and falsifies evidence and basically lies about the church. That's one thing. That's clearly not the case with Rachel Denhollander. Clearly not the case. The Bible says faithful are the the wounds of a friend. She's a sister in Christ. Her husband is a brother in Christ. And they are clearly not unhinged individuals, but thoughtful believers, brother and sister in Christ. And I think some of the questions and concerns that they have raised would hopefully generate in my heart. If they had come out of my church, I I would hope that the concerns they have raised and the hurt they've expressed would cause me to close my mouth in terms of any effort at self-justification and open my heart to considering, what have we done? How did we hurt this brother and sister? How were we insensitive? Because when we're talking about being sensitive in a case like this, we're not talking about being sensitive about some trivial matter. We're talking about something that is profoundly painful, deeply painful in ways that those who haven't experienced it cannot really grasp. We're not talking about giving our attention and playing lip service to something that is trivial. We're talking about caring for the heart and the soul and the mind and the emotions of someone who has experienced great, great trauma. And so the church ought to go the second, third, and fourth, and fifth mile in seeking to care for and be tender to and listen to the critique of, of one such as this.
3: Yeah. I mean, she's so bad, needed an advocate. And, right. and she has a fabulous advocate in her husband. Yes. <laughs> That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, to not have that in your church mm-hmm. and to be treated as a villain. Yeah, a mm-hmm. problem. When she's taking a stand for so many women, not Mm -hmm. just herself, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean.
2: She took some, she took a real risk. Oh, man. Stepping out on this thing.
3: So -hmm. many of those young women would not have spoken out if Mm -hmm. it wasn't for her. Yeah. And the toll that that must have taken on her family and just the little ways that they could have been helped, you know, Mm -hmm. child care. Like, oh, yeah. Let me watch your children, and and how can I pray for you while you're going through this? And meals. There's just so many little easy ways to say, this matters. You matter. It matters that this happened, and what you're doing is amazing, and I want to support you. And Mm -hmm. then, to yeah, if you hear how, you know, to hear that you didn't, that you were part of the same problem that she Mm -hmm. encountered secularly, man, i even just as a friend, if I heard that, it's 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 devastating.
2: And yeah. and, and what a pastor's got to do in a situation like this is he's got to say, okay, what matters more to me in various situations? My responsibility as a pastor, as a shepherd of of souls a task for which I've taken sacred vows and have, and have been ordained by the church, very serious things. Mm-hmm. And so my responsibility towards God's beloved flock here and each individual member of that flock, or maybe is that more important or are my, you know, networks and various connections mm-hmm. outside, which all can be very, very good things for a pastor. But there are times where he might be called upon to make a choice between the care of one of these little ones, so to Mm -hmm. speak, and I mean that in the most positive sense of that term, that the care of one of these little ones over, you know, at the possible risk of of certain outside Mm -hmm. extracurricular, if you like, connections. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Pastor's first calling is to, is to the flock that has been placed in his care. And again, and again, we aren't talking about someone with a, with a mental illness that need, you know, that, that can't be directing the course of the church. We're talking about someone, Clearly a mature believer in Christ. Clearly very thoughtful.
3: Very mature. Very Mm. mature. She did all this the right way.
2: Right, right. Mm. And and so her her situation. She's theologically
3: astute. Like even in her impact statement. You know, she asked that question, what is the value of a little girl? Mm. That's the same question to ask about her in her church. What is the value of Mm -hmm. this woman? Mm
2: -hmm. And so churches have to be incredibly Tender towards and, and, and what we know, just what we know at this point, as far as statistically of those who have experienced what she experienced or something similar, then we have what would represent a significant number of of men and women in our churches who have been victimized like this in their past. And we cannot afford to be cavalier about how we care for them. We just can't afford to do it. Mm-hmm. The damage done to someone who feels betrayed by their church is very similar to the damage that is done for a child to be betrayed by a parent. It's a very similar Mm -hmm. dynamic, and we can't afford to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think the point you make, Todd, about the need for pastors and elders to be sensitive to the concerns primarily of their congregation. Now, I've been in a situation myself where I was invited to speak somewhere, and I realized that I was going to end up speaking with somebody on a platform with somebody that i knew certain members of my congregation would take strong mm. objection to i myself didn't know whether what was being said about this person mm-hmm. was was true or false i had no particular investment mm-hmm. in finding them guilty of what right. was being said but i felt it was appropriate for the peace and harmony of my local congregation mm-hmm. to withdraw from that engagement for precisely the reasons the yeah. reasons you say i think pastors need to be careful what associations they keep, who they bring into their own chosen the pulpit, because there are those in the congregation who can be hurt and damaged by that. Right. And just before you know anybody jumps in and says, Yeah, well, what about nutcases? What about mm-hmm. malicious accusations? Yeah. To that, if if you know your people half decently, mm-hmm. you know who the people with the axe to grind right. are. You know who the the people who cry wolf mm-hmm. are. You actually know individuals as human beings. You know when you're getting a, a serious and substantial concern or whether it's just the usual suspect trying to cause trouble. And, and you make a call on the basis of that. Maybe you won't get it right every time. And I'd also add that I think erring on the side of the congregation should be the default position yeah. for, for pastors. I, I agree, and I, I, and I
2: think that's well put. Erring, yeah. you know, if, if I'm going to err, I want to err on the side yeah. of – caring for the yeah. people that the Lord has entrusted to me. Yeah. One, one of the thoughts I had when I watched the full impact statement that mm. Rachel gave in the courtroom, which, by the way, was one of the best explanations of, of law and gospel that I've heard in a very long time. Mm. But one of the thoughts I had was how proud I would have been to have been her pastor. Yeah. To see a member of the congregation I serve to be that strong, clear, thoughtful, yeah. theologically astute. Yeah. I would have been so proud and to hear that she and her husband experienced marginalization and, and community being removed for them is very heartbreaking, but it's a warning for churches because I'm convinced that it can happen far more than what we think it might because of the temptation to protect your brand and your reputation. And that temptation can lead you to do some really stupid and harmful things.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, her impact statement was so God glorifying, I mean, here she got up there and she could talk about herself the whole time and right. all the horrible pain that she's been through right. and the way that you know how hard it was for her to to mm-hmm. get that far. I mean, she fought hard mm-hmm. and she gave the gospel.
1: Yeah, she, she, she waved anonymity. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's right. Yeah. It's
3: huge. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I mean, it tells not, you a not lot. Not knowing what
2: would, not knowing what was going to happen. No. It tells yeah, you a
3: lot right. about her character. Yeah. And so I mean, you know, she points to Larry Nassar, just you are the man, right. and then she points to the church, right, <laughs> and says, "You are the man." Right. Yeah. And I, I just feel like. This is a time to really...
1: Mm-hmm. It's a time for self-examination, and not yes. just for the particular church he was talking about. Right. right. Again, I want to stress here, we're not engaging in a kind of Pharisaic. Right. They screwed up, but we would do differently. I think this is a time for the church to, as a whole to think, yes. okay, what was it about that church, perhaps, that led to this situation? Mm-hmm. Is that in my church? Right. Yeah. Do I need to address that? Right. How can we address this yeah. in my church? Because... We're all sinners, we're all fallen, we're all likely to make the wrong call in these situations unless we're being very thoughtful and prayerful and appropriate in the way we address them.
2: It's really, I think, only been in recent years that churches have started to finally think, oh my goodness, we need to have formal, constitutional, basically, policies in how to handle some of these things, because for so long churches just didn't get around to doing that. Yeah. And for the most part, not out of malice, just out mm-hmm. of ignorance and neglect. Yeah.
3: And who no, you hate spending time on something like so <laughs> yeah. evil. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And and now there's no excuse anymore. There, yeah. There's no excuse. I mean, we have to pay close attention to these things. And I think Carl, your counselor is very wise because what I don't want to do when I hear about a church that messes up, I don't want to say that could never happen to a church that I serve. I think most people are mature enough to understand that a predator can find his way into a church. But most people mm. understand that that can happen and it not be a source of, of guilt on the part of the church. Some yeah. predators are just really good at yeah. what they do and they can get themselves, they look for soft. We soft should hearts. stress
1: here that there was no accusation that there was a predator in this church. Exactly. It's exactly. yeah. yeah. this, this a different issue, we're is a different issue to here.
2: Exactly. But, where the real harm is done, so most people understand that question comes down to did the church respond well? Did they pursue justice for the predator and healing and wholeness for me well,
3: and another aspect, I think too is I mean we look at someone like Rachel den and and she's very well put together, right you know i intellectually right. gracefully um mentally it seems like mm-hmm, just spiritually yeah. all around, yeah, but so often when when someone is a victim of such horrific abuse they can be pretty messed up they don't grow up that well and adjusted. And it, yeah, yeah and it's so it, and i know it's easy to say then to point the finger and say well they're this way and they right. have all these sin issues and to be able to listen to how somebody has mm. been sexually harmed right. and to be able to care for them well without all these cavites mm-hmm. that you want to say well she, she needs to do this 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 and this and then right but to be able to really
1: minister to somebody And prioritize Hopefully. your congregation yes. over external speakers and contacts. Right. You just have to do that. You have to. You know, I remember Archbishop mm-hmm. saying, making the comment that uh, it's never hard to do the right thing. It's merely tiring. It is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good thing to hold. Yeah. Usually we, we know what the right through. thing to do is. It's just a question of whether we're willing to put in the mm-hmm. effort right. or not. Right. It is. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, I mean, this is a topic that I think we'll continue to talk mm-hmm. about because it's one that's going to continually face the church and um this one's just more in our current events mm, right lately and um I'm just so proud of how Rachel has indeed has fought that fight, man, and the grace that she showed up there in her impact and, statement and, and, and boldness. And,
2: exactly. And prayers for she called for out she, the sin for exactly. sure. And and prayers for she and her husband to be loved well yes. in a good church now. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. So so thanks for listening, and um, if you would like to go over to visit our website, mortificationofspend.org, we would love for your support, uh, either in prayer or also you can leave donations there. You could register to win a copy of our giveaway this week, On Guard, Preventing and Responding to Child Abuse at the Church. It's a New Growth Press release. Author is Deepak Raju, and we are happy to give away some copies to... A few lucky winners.
0: And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... Use the term racialism
2: and demonstrate how this racialism really undermines the dignity of human beings.
3: You're really kind of upholding virtue in contrast to, to victimhood.
2: The real sad ironies about Black Lives Matter is that one of their core principles is that they're committed to the overthrow of this idea of the nuclear family
0: that interview is next time. Join us then.
1: The second predestinarian controversy of the English Reformation takes place in prison under the reign of Queen Mary when the Reformed and a bunch of Anabaptists known as the Free Will Men are confined in the same prison. And the Reformed are gambling. They're playing cards for money. And the Free Will Men object to this as ungodly. So John Bradford writes his Treatise on Providence in order to demonstrate that the fall of the cards is actually determined by God's sovereign will, and therefore it's not gambling. And he died for the faith, so there. So So I can say lucky? Caesar's palace is fine because it was predestined. You know, the
2: Presbyterians have always been on the cutting edge of justifying vice. We've
1: always had more fun. We've always had more fun. (laughs)